Hello and welcome. My name is Liva Bonnevie and this is episode 12 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. This interview with Tina Budeberg was recorded on August 8th, 2020, but a situation arose that left the interview unedited for nearly a year. A situation that made it too challenging for me to even listen through it. And during that time, I spent many hours contemplating about whether it should be published at all. It was not an easy decision, but since I know that Tina stands by everything that was said, and I know that she wants her voice heard, I decided that publishing it was the right thing to do. Let me start by taking you one year back in time. I'm on a mountain hike with my husband and youngest son, but I managed to squeeze in a visit to Tina's place, as I always do when we visit the region, since Tina and I live quite far apart. The last time I took my family with me to visit was about five years ago, We then built fences and baked bread on an open campfire. You rarely stop by Tina's place without eating something cooked on a campfire. It is still summer when we arrive. The sun is shining and the occasional white cloud is gliding past as we cross the bridge over the river and meet Tina in Dream Valley, her modest and cozy farm located close to Rondana National Park. The horses graze on the field between the river and the farm. And as always, there are other guests visiting, among them a carpenter from Tina's home country, Germany. The people who work on the farm are often woofers, woof as in worldwide opportunities on organic farms. There may also be trainees or others who in various ways want to experience or contribute to Tina's simple and untraditional way of living. Over the years, there have also been many who have struggled to find a place in the world who has found a safe haven with Tina until they are ready to give it another go. As we say in Norway, if you have room in your heart, you have room in your house. When we meet Tina in the yard, she is dressed for work as always. A dark blue worn sweater, a beautiful silver jewellery around her neck, and black trousers that reach two-thirds down her leg. She is tanned, smiling, gentle, dirty under the nails and as barefoot as her horses. For every year we have known each other, Tina has taken one step closer to nature. So also this day in August, when she greets me with a spontaneous, old-fashioned, pre-Covid hug, although we are still in the middle of the pandemic. But Tina is not somehow. No disinfectant hand wash, face masks or restrictions in sight. It is like she is living in another world. I'm not even sure she knows what goes on in the region I come from, or if she cares. We do a little meet and greet with the other guests on the farm, but first and foremost we greet the horses. And one of the things we will talk about is our observations and experiences with a stable herd of horses, which in itself is unusual these days. The herd counts eight horses now, and I've known the oldest ones for as long as I've known Tina. Twenty years, give or take. As we greet the horses, Tina is already warming up to the interview by reminding me that in a well-established herd, the hierarchy can only be seen in man-made situations. She's always advocated that what she sees in the herd is primarily cooperation and co-creative processes, and all signs of leadership depends heavily on situation and context. When a horse has a good idea, the other horses will follow, and the same thing happens when a human has a good idea. However, if it is a bad idea, the herd will simply ignore it. 
We will also talk about the wound that occurs when humans are separated from nature and the pain Tina believes his separation inflicts upon us. In this interview, you will also hear Tina talk about how she has refined the art of letting go over the last three to four years. In relation to the horses, it's always been important for Tina to let go of fear and control. And when she shows me around on the farm, she tells me that she has torn down most of the fences now so the horses can roam freely. This way of keeping horses is not for everybody or every farm. Nevertheless, it is interesting to hear how it works in practice to keep horses free of the squares we usually keep them in, in the form of box, paddock and riding arena. But as it turned out, the fences were not the most significant thing Tina was about to let go of. But on that hot August day, neither of us knew that we were about to run out of time. During this interview, you may occasionally hear the sound of carpentry in the background from people in the yard building a new feeding station for the winter. It is everyday life you hear. The everyday life of Dream Valley. And just a quick note about the fact that Tina and I had decided to conduct this interview in English, but we just forgot, so for the first few minutes we spoke Norwegian. Um, but Tina, I think, managed to give a really good recap of the most important aspects So those minutes. I think the only thing that we didn't repeat was uh, our kind of meet and greets where we spoke of the value of our friendship and the part where I speak of the ambitions behind this podcast, but neither is really that relevant for what we're going to talk about. So I've decided to just jump right into the part of the interview where we remember and switch to English. Och det tror jag är jätteviktigt. Ja. Så vi får switch till English just to start ah, off. Okej. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <For God. laughs> Men um, um, some, some of the things you said in the beginning, it's very easy for me to to put them into words mm-hmm. and use that as part of the intro if needed because you said mm. a lot of beautiful things but mm. I'm sure you can say them again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, but I said is that one of the reason why this is a process not a platform that will stay the way it is mm. is that I'm a visual artist. That's my profession and um I'm very into experimental way of thinking and searching and researching. And uh, what Dream Valley is for me is very much a relational work of art that investigates our relationship to nature. And I think maybe my um, special um, attitude in life has always been listening, to be humble and to listen to nature. But nature is not just something out there. It's myself, it's my nature, it's my own body, my own mind, my own soul, and it's the horses. So for me, the horse represents nature in a very strong way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So can you say a little bit about uh, the journey from where you were, where you kind of in a period of time lived uh, from uh, taking tourists out riding in the mountains mm. and um, uh, the journey to come here to, to Dream Valley that is this place that you have created and also say a little bit about what Dream Valley is mm. at the moment. Mm. So uh, I begin with Dream Valley, so mm. it's a relational work of art where everybody who comes here becomes a part of this work of art and it investigates our relationship to nature in multiple ways. So that's what Dream Valley is and the horses are playing a very important part in that because they help us to go deeper 
in learning about nature and ourselves and the mirror function, all these amazing social abilities they have. That's all part of this investigation. And also the horses attract a lot of very interesting people, mm. uh, not necessarily horse people, but people who want to um, meet nature uh, in an open way. Yeah. Um, but you had more questions. I've forgotten those now. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's always interesting to see the sh uh, to kind of understand the shift in people mm -hmm. where you go from mm. yeah from riding horses, maybe mm. making money from riding, mm. training horses, whatever. Uh, mm. Like in the interview I did with Stormy May, and then you you suddenly change direct mm. direction and you do something completely different. Mm. So what was the um, what ignited that change? You think in your life with yes, horses? Yes, because I was working with traditional uh, tourist riding, mm -hmm. uh, but very quick I understood something is wrong here in the answers I get when I ask about issues I have with the horses. Then I went a whole ten-year-long bus through natural horsemanship. That's where I also met you, mm. and um, then in the end again I understood something is wrong here. It's still the human being uh, commanding nature and being on a high pedestal, or what you say, uh, commanding nature to do and manipulating nature to do what he or she wants. And uh, then there was a really big crisis in, in, in my whole horse thing. Um, then there came Stormy May, the path of the horse. She mm -hmm. was very important. She was like a bomb into my whole dream valley. It already existed then. Mm -hmm. And through Stormy, I came to Sabine Biermann, being with horses. And now I even partly have let go of that because I understood that almost all training is based on fear-based activity. Even the training that you did here in Dream Valley? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's still some fear involved mm -hmm. that you use for manipulating the horse into uh, an image you have, you want to create. Mm. So what happens if you let go of that fear-based uh, way of treating horses? Mm. I wouldn't do that with my children. Why should I do it with horses? Mm. You know, Why should I educate them by the means of fear? Mm. So so that's the maybe newest thing now that I... I think the last um, five, four, three years, I let go, I let go, I let go. And that is not to go away from the horses, but to see what's really there mm. and what's true. And uh, not what can I achieve by using this or that technique or method. Or we humans are very quick to make methods out of things that are not methods. Mm. That's what happened with me also with Sabine Biermann. Mm. And she has a very deep truth which is about letting go. But in my conditions here, I feel I can go even deeper on this letting go. Mm. Mm. And that's how I also came to Maxida Vogt and Academia Liberti, because uh, here horses have so much space and the model is really a wild horse model, but at the same time in a domesticated environment. Mm. So how can you combine the wild with the domesticated? And mm. that's what we practice now. Mm. So, yeah, but a lot of space is needed. A lot of space is yes. needed. <laughs> and how much is mm. a lot of space? Well, I mean, the, 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 the thumb rule is that you need at least one hectare per horse, okay. which is, I think, T-mole. Mm. Yeah. I have 30 mole here in the farm, mm. so that's for three, four horses. Yeah. Yeah. But I have the wilderness, the outskirts, mm. and I have the mountain farm, and it seems to be expanding because yeah. the more the horses are at home here, the less they would leave the area, 
but they also get home in wider areas. Mm. So now they're home at the mountain farm. Mm. They wouldn't leave that because that's a safety zone. So over the eight years, their safety zone and my safety zone and my trust has widened and widened and widened. Mm. And so the fences go. It's mm. really amazing process, you know. So you don't have any fences outside the farm anymore? Um, some, mm. but it's a process. Yeah. Because it's maybe also, I mean, horses are routine animals mm. and they also appreciate fences as long as they mean safety for them. But then they get used to an environment and they don't need the fence anymore. Mm. So it's not like, okay, horses, here's all your area, go free, then mm. they disappear. Yeah. But it's like, okay, this is the core area and then this is the second core and it's just slowly widening and the fences help to define the core areas but they mm. get wider and wider yeah yeah and more and more it's like okay you need a fence to provide them to go to the main street mm. you need of course fences so they don't go neighbor's yard yeah but here on the farmyard we always have open mm. so there's no they can always leave if they want Yeah. But they don't. No. I mean, my challenge is that they love domestication. <laughs> <laughs> I want them wild, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. But they love the comfort and uh, they love me giving them good stuff like nice hay and stuff like that. So yeah. so I have to throw them out into wilderness every afternoon. Yeah. Mm. But then they're fine. And if I would wait, they would go out by themselves at around nine and I throw them out at five. Mm. Now, it's mm. now, it can change, but... Um, Now I have to throw them out because I, if not, I have to do too much uh, picking up of horse uh, apples. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the half wild concept is working, but the horses um, like home, mm. like safety yeah. very much, and like routines. So is yeah. that ex uh, is that your experience that they have actually uh, found some good in the domestication? I think as long as you don't treat them violently, mm -hmm. you don't treat treat them with fear-based behavior, mm -hmm. you uh, don't demand things of them that they wouldn't like to do, mm. um, and when you give them the free choice, which is a very important uh, principle here mm -hmm. in Dream Valley, then they choose to have this safety that yeah. we represent. They, they also like the stimulation. Now we have somebody building a stable and they love to be around and listen to all these saws and things. So we must not keep our horses away from our life. Mm. So here the horses go on the farmyard. They can come into the window and say, hello, I need my blanket. Or, you know, it's like, a, it's like living together. Mm. Not here is the fence and behind that you have the horses and mm. here's the human area. So, yeah. And this is also mm. really the key why I really wanted to talk to you because mm. we have, you have eight horses, mm -hmm. and they've been in a stable herd for eight years, mm -hmm. uh, and that gives you a very unique voice and position in speaking about horses as a group of horses, mm. what their life is like, um, and uh, and how they operate, yeah. basically. And I would be really interested to hear your experience then about uh, what it has taught you to mm. live. Because they are literally just outside your house mm. at all times. Mm. And you really, um, I know this because I live far mm. away, you really really wouldn't you know, leave the farm and go somewhere else. So, so you are part of that herd. I'm part of the herd and I also say home is where my herd is. Yeah. So if I change home, it is because the herd... herd has found a better place, yeah. or we have found a better place. So yeah. Dream Valley is a concept, it's not necessarily a site. 
it's not necessarily this physical no, place. No, no. But yeah. uh, if I would change uh, the site, it would be because it would be even better for the herd, even yeah. more space. Yes, yeah, so you will follow the horses. Yes. This is yes. how I actually yeah. left home when I was uh, 18. Yeah. I uh, <sighs> had my horse at a different farm for the summer, so he could graze there, and he he looked so good. Yeah. And and uh, was in fantastic shape and yeah. really really happy when I got back yeah. and I thought I can't take him away and then I moved to the farm. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so there you go. So I know his feeling. Yeah, yeah. Now and um, I mean I have experienced that when you take a new horse in a herd, it takes at least four years before that ho horse is part of the herd. Ah, like a true yes, part of that. really okay. becoming the accepted. It takes four years yeah. and it's a long time. And we change the horses all the time. People do in a other environments and sell and buy and bring in and out and they they need time to establish deep relationships mm -hmm. so I have the philosophy if a horse comes here it's for staying the life out mm -hmm. and then we have to deal with the issues that are because of course these horses have not chosen one another uh, if you look in the wild with the wild horses they would choose their family groups in a much more in a wider uh, extent here they have to deal with this guys that I put together mm -hmm. and that was accidental who ended up with me here but um, it's really interesting to 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 see the development of a herd over many years that is stable and that I believe to really operate like a herd given the conditions we have mm -hmm. and like I said earlier to you is that um, the conditions that I find very important for this herd to learn to really behave like a herd is the wilderness, is to be out there, is to have so much free choice. Shall we go up the hill? Shall we go four kilometers there? Shall we go three kilometers there? Where shall we graze now? Where shall we rest? Where are we safe? All these things. Um, if they don't have that choice and they are just a stable herd in a square, it's not the same thing because that's where decision-making uh, making happens. That's out there mostly here also, but in a much more tame extent. Mm. Because here it's more about, <coughs> am I going to go to stable? Am I going on the field now? Who is deciding we go for a grazing episode? Who's deciding that we go for a resting episode? That's little choices, but, but I want them to have more radical choices. Mm. It's very interesting when you touch on who decides what to do yeah. when. Yeah. What is your experience with the herd? Mm. Uh, because we have... Uh, uh, the theory of the alpha mare mm. and you have a lot of trainers said that's really the case and you have a lot of trainers that's just calling the alpha mare a myth mm. and then if of course you of course also have this picture of this dominant stallion being in charge of everything and, mm. and we have so many ideas mm. of what a, what a herd is like but mm. you, you have a herd and like you said you put it together so it's it's not what it would be like a natural mm. herd but, but it is a herd and it's been together for eight years so mm. who is making the calls in it's your different. Experience. It's uh, it's like with people. It's depending on the form in the day, mm. how they feel. It's depending on their talents. They have different talents. They have different tasks in the herd, but they also have uh, vara in Norway. You say vara. It's like the second in command. A second in, in command. Yeah. So I'm not feeling good today. So you take this role. Mm. So it's not a fixed um, ranking pecking order at all, and it's not dominance based. But it's much more a, a collaboration, co-creative uh, process where the horse that has a good idea is followed. If I have a good idea, 
I'm followed. If I have a bad idea, they say, no, we go there. This is a better idea. And I love that. So because um, the winter half here, we go out on the other side of the bridge here. And that's in the, there's a street. There's also some houses, but not so many. And there is um, a lot of woods and uh, nice uh, um, choices to take. Uh, because we cannot go here in my wilderness because there's the Shiloipe, so we cannot go here. So we mm. go there. And then the horses really can choose, do we want to go to the right today or to the left? Do we want to go up our track that we have made in the snow or do we want to do something else today? And I love that option that they have to choose that. But of course, sometimes I make suggestions because maybe today I'm tired, so I would just like to take the small round. And then they say, no, today not. <laughs> and then I have to accept it because somebody else was more having a better idea. Mm. So, so it's the horse that has the best idea will lead. Mm. And it's magic how it happens. Mm. And often it's also, he presents this idea with some uh, very, um, he's just sure of himself. He just does his song, thing, he, he walks his way. But it can also happen that somebody walks his way and the horses look at him, no. And then he turns after some time. Mm. But we have, of course, we have, for example, the Arab Elodia, and she is... Um, because we have seven Icelandics. Seven Icelandics and one Arab, yeah. yeah. And she has sometimes this role of the leading mare, but only as long as she feels safe. So once she feels safe, she goes back in the herd, and then somebody else leads. So it's it's very much the personality, the talent. Uh, it's changing all the time. It's depending on the context, and we have different packing orders uh, depending on the context. The Can you give some examples for that? Yeah, the, the one packing order that seems to be quite stable is the food packing order. So if I come with the buckets of oats, I will always give them after the same row mm -hmm. because if not, it is chaotic, mm. and then it's peaceful to give the buckets. Mm. So that's stable. But beside of that, it's like who leads to the water, who leads to the graze, mm. a grazing area, who decides direction. Mm. That's depending on several things. But there's definitely, let me see... Um, Elodie, Lenya, Frami, Sindri. It's all of the horses can actually suddenly have a good suggestion and they will follow them. But it's like, for example, Horek and Maya, they, they lead when they have wild ideas. So they are more the radical ones. So if there's anarchistic ideas that really involve some energy and some adventure, they will take the suggestion. If it's more safety and routine and we go the way that's most safe, then it's more Elodie. So she's more based into routine. She needs that to feel safe. So uh, they take ch choices, uh, yeah, from their uh, from their um, talent. Mm. Yeah. So I know if Horek is in the front, we will have an adventure for sure, because he wouldn't be in the front for a normal everyday walk. That's boring. Yeah. yeah. Then he keeps behind and doesn't want to have too much uh, tussle. <laughs> So it's very interesting. And of course, in Dream Valley, we have a lot of talks about these uh, behavioral things all the time because it's so interesting to, to watch. Mm. Yeah, really. Mm. Um, and you lost one of your horses this spring. Yeah, Shaman died. Yeah, that and that was, was a horse that we yeah. both loved. Yeah, he was, he was loved by horse. the many. He was yeah. an amazing horse. He was really a shaman, true to his word. Yeah. And many people were in love with him. So yeah. what was mm. your experience? Because then he had been with these horses for... Seven years. Seven years. Yeah. Uh, was yeah. he also in your previous place called yes. Green Value? Yes. So, so yeah. some of them he has been with for... 
Oh, longer, like 15 years. 15 years, yeah. yeah. So it's, we're talking mm. long, solid bonds mm. with the horses mm. or the uh, yeah. mates. He was really very dear to many horses. Mm. So several of my horses after he died had like several months of holes over the eyes, which is a sign for depression. So it was a shock for all us. So you mean the facial uh, yeah. expression yeah. in the horse yeah. really changed? Yeah, it really changed. Mm. Was, now it's getting better, but there is still uh, in Elodie, who was very close friend to him, I still can see this hollow over the eyes every mm. now and then. Yeah. So she lost a very dear friend. And I think the herd lost the peacemaker and the diplomat that mm. had this role in the herd. Mm. It's really interesting now because now really the herd structure changes. Uh, because uh, he's not in charge anymore. He was also an adventurer. His adventures were so that everybody trusted him. So if Shaman had an idea when we were out there for the walks, I had no chance. So <laughs> no chance. I could, Shaman, wait! No, he would just go his way. And this, you know, his white, broad back, everybody would love to follow that. So he was, uh, and it was also like, if there were situations that were kind of creepy, let's see, a big tractor comes or... There is a strange a creek we have to come over or something is, and nobody would dare to go there. He would go in the end mm. and then they would follow. Mm. So he was giving a lot of peace and trust and uh, friendship to the horses. Mm. And now this element is gone and they have to rearrange one another. And first thing that happened after he died is that there came a very different um, constellation in, because we have one mare, uh, Lenya, and she suddenly became very attractive. So now she has two boyfriends. Mm. And it's a lot of heat around this situation all the time. In the spring it was crazy, now it's more calm, but still it's very, uh, this, this trio mm. between her two lovers, the one the sexual lover, the other the altruistic lover, uh, they uh, are really in charge of a lot of stuff that happens. And uh, there was a period they suddenly started to check chase out the wisest horse, Sindri, the oldest horse, just chase him away. I didn't understand why. But I think it came from this uh, flirting thing. So um, it's not always easy to understand why what happens happens, but I feel there's a lot more conflict has broken open after Shaman disappeared. Mm. And uh, I see the herd structure in a new way now. Mm. For example, Toby... Uh, was always a little bit a follower of Shaman. Now Shaman is gone, so now he's in charge. Mm. And he really takes responsibility. We did uh, get an example of that uh, just uh, 30 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there came this machine, this big uh, packing uh, round bales on the neighbor field. Mm. And Toby really took charge, you know. What yes. is this thing, this dinosaurier there? Yeah. Get away here. I'll take care of my herd. So if there's something like this, or like, for example, the canoes come on the river, mm. uh, the kayaks, he will uh, take the horses, he will chase the mares behind him and say, I take care of the situation, you go off. Mm. So it's amazing. Yeah. Mm. So he would then be what people would really easily label as a leader then? And he's not at all. I no, mean, when we are out so there interesting. In, yeah. the, in the wild, he's not leading at all. No. Because Thür is the one who wants to be the leader, but he is more this better safe than sorry type. Yeah. So he will then give... Toby the task to go first, mm. but uh, Toby is more follower. He likes to be behind Sindri. Yeah. Sometimes he takes uh, the lead, but that's not so often actually. Mm. So he's not the leader, but he's the one. Um, in, in in when it comes to dangerous stuff, mm. he will be the one taking care of everybody. Mm. But when it comes to sex, mm. then it's somebody else. Mm. Even if he's also quite involved in that. So I think he has some stallion-like uh, talents. 
because they're all geldings. They're all geldings. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. they haven't they haven't completely forgotten everything. No, they have not. No. Definitely not. But I mean, I was visiting the wild horses in Bosnia. And uh, that's, of course, the big difference. We have no stallions here. We have no foals here. We have mm. not really natural families. Mm. Uh, but still, the horse has kept all his wild, I believe, all his wild uh, abilities. Mm. So we underestimate their uh, wildness and their intact instincts f of uh, being in a herd animal, which is, they're so highly social. That's their most important uh, uh, survival uh, aspect, I think. And mm. something it's very easy, I think, also for us to take advantage of because they they want to cooperate yeah. and they want to relate. Yes. And we say, please relate to me and cooperate on this. Yeah. And even though they may not think it's the greatest idea, <laughs> uh, maybe because it. it's fear-based and you can add some mm. aspects, they, they still go along with it. Yeah. Because cooperation is really their nature. Yes, it is. Yeah. The core of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just had a thought now, but I, I lost it. They cooperate, yes, because many people come here and ask me, but Tina, are you the leader of the herd? I hope you are. Okay. I'm not. <laughs> and I but don't have to be. No. <laughs> but this is this is a really for a lot of people this would be a really radical concept. Yeah. Because yeah. because being in charge mm. as a human with animals is so important. Because yeah. if you're not in charge, you're not safe. That yes. seems to be the the going rate. Yeah. That's not my experience. Not I mean, my experience either. Really not, because they, in many situations, they know better. Mm. And why should I always have the last word? Mm. Word, because also in training, you always, yeah, I have to, you have to end the training in a good note. Mm. You have to have the last word. If you don't do that, it will not be nice, nice next time. You will not have success. Mm. I think it's bullshit. They are just more like, like us. Because if there's a situation where one of the horses knows better, um, it's not because this horse is more dominant or has more power or in this situation he may have. And then I can learn from that because for me, the horses have really become teachers and, um, and they have uh, kept more of relationship to nature where we people have become much more separated. And I think this is the deep wound of our civilization, separation from nature. And, and, and they can l teach us to have a little bit of that back. Um, uh, we've both, both seen Klaus Ferdinand Hempfling mm. uh, and he has this very um, clear concept of a horse being nature incarnated that horse, a horse is pure nature mm. and if you think of a horse as pure nature then it's also easy to see why we need to control it because that is what we always do with nature mm. we control mm. and shape mm. with our gardens with everything, everything mm. should be shaped and mm and uh, molded mm. into our, mm. you know, <laughs> way of seeing life. Um, but with your horses, uh, have you, over the last eight years where you lived at this stable herd, have you learned something new that has really surprised you? Because you have, you have lived with horse herds now for, is it like 15, 20, 20 years? 25 years. Yeah. yeah. So with Dream Valley mm. now, it's, it's a stable herd through eight years, but you've really lived with, with a herd of horses for 20 years. So yeah. have you, f you know, over the last years, in my experience, you always learn something new with horses, of mm. course. But have you really gained some new insights that you found really, you know, really completely changed some of your perspectives? I think so, because all this letting go I talk about, this has 
is quite radical if you really walk your talk. Letting go of fences, letting go of control, letting go of wanting to dominate, mm. and especially the control scene. Is it still a struggle? I must ask you because... <laughs> of course. <laughs> because this is also my experience, that this way of being with horses is so um, deeply, you know, it's something we've really been taught from an yeah. early age. And, and to let that go, <laughs> even though you, you, know, you want it, you need mm. it, you feel it's right, but mm. still you have that core, mm. that strive for dominance, mm. manipulations, and your experience is that it's still there 20 it's years later. It's fear-based. I you? mean, I need to control because I'm afraid. All right. Okay. So, so if I let go of the fear, yeah. I can let go of the control. And what do I gain? The trust. Mm. the trust of my horses mm. so it's amazing and that's maybe the most important uh, insight yeah. that uh, to let go of fear uh, towards the horse towards the situations yeah. is to gain trust yeah. and that's wonderful trust in myself in the end and trust yeah. in nature and trust in the horse's nature mm. so so that's a big uh, surprising insight and i'm also so happy that you talk about this this uh, this need to control because I think in our civilization always humans are on the highest uh, central uh, stand and the animals and nature and the plants and everything is under us and we want to use it. So I also want to challenge this idea of using nature, horses for riding, dogs for hunting, uh, whatever you know. Uh, of course I use them also, I use them as teachers but that's a concept where they can say I don't want to be a teacher today. So that's one of the reasons why I let go of riding, because I felt it's a way of uh, still using nature. And it's more like walking my talk, being consequent to my idea that I think the human being should today in our time go away from this dominant position and integrate, reintegrate into nature in order to heal this wound of separation that we are part of. That is really, I think if everybody feels really deep inside, they can maybe feel that uh, pain that it causes. Mm. And and what we do to ourselves, we do to our animals. Mm. So, and our environment and everything. And we feel that the species are disappearing from the planet. We feel that everything is going quite extreme. And it's, it, it's a pain. So what do we do with the pain? And I think then we need models of a different way of living more in interbeing with nature, not the dominating of nature. Mm. <gasps> so... Mm. So I, I just yeah. want to tell you a little episode because you say it's a struggle sometimes. Yes, it is. Yeah. Like last yeah. week I had two customers. We planned that wonderful walk, mm. free meditative horse with the toe, with the, with the herd. And uh, we decided, okay, we go that direction because it's the most beautiful uh, landscape. So the views. scenery is nice. The scenery is more beautiful. Mm. So yeah, we do it. And yes, I know the horses don't like to go that way, but we take the halters on. I mean, for this short stretch, that will be fine. So we put the halters on six horses and we, uh, yeah, we didn't to struggle long before I understood that it didn't work. Yeah, we just gave up after maybe three minutes because it was clear they would never follow. So, yes. And it was like, you know, you have the customers, they have paid for the whole day. You want to show the free herd, blah, blah, blah. And then it doesn't work. And we let go. We let the horses, uh, they know. We let them choose their direction. They choose the other direction. And we had the most wonderful day. Mm. And then we had to change some other ideas because there come some Shetland ponies and we had to go somewhere else. And the day was perfect. And I think especially that lesson of not 
doing what we wanted to do mm. and to have the horses decide and to have that fine. That yeah, was that so flexibility important. Of the mind. Yeah, that flexibility of the mind mm. and that acceptance of their no doesn't lead to a no, 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 but it leads just to their ways. And that's why people come here. They want to learn about the ways of the horses. Mm. So why should it always be our ways? Then it's still manipulation. But that's like layers and layers and layers, and that is hard to to accept in myself, you know, of yeah. course, yeah. And mm. also the key word then being you are paid for something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, because this is this was really also something I I had a bit of concern with with my book because it's it is really when money comes into the picture that it gets difficult yeah. to to stay mm. on the horse's side mm. because mm. money is there. To kind of point out the direction that is mm. that is already mm. it's it's a commodity yeah. and and the customer yeah. has paid for it and you have yeah. to deliver. Yeah. That was interesting with Per Walder that I also interviewed at Dressage Norwegian Dressage rider. He was at an event and was supposed to perform something and he could feel that uh, Lisbeth Salander, as I used to call his horse, and he calls her that himself. She didn't have her day. Yeah, she it was a bit hot in the in the arena and he felt that. Uh, this was not her day and yeah. instead of just keeping keep on doing what he was supposed to do show off mm. and do the things that you know mm. brideless riding or whatever mm. it was he just got off and, and so didn't. cool that's so good and but it's so unusual yeah because yeah. because we and and that's really one of the things yeah. that bothers me but a lot of things that i see mm. in arenas where you're mm. showing things that horses can do i think as long as we have the monetary system we have now uh, it's the one of the deep deepest roots to our separation from nature so to to find a new way of economy mm. a gift economy and to let go of all these concepts that's that's what we have to go through in order to save this planet i think so m money is so deep involved in in our not relating to nature mm. so yeah it's a it's a big step but you did mm. give a very concrete example of having two customers and they're paid. <laughs> <laughs> um, how uh, how do you um, find a way to to keep your place going, mm. but without uh, the horses then having to pay that big of a price for it? It's mm. like you say you you allow them to choose, but sometimes that old voice comes into your head of saying, course. "Let's put on the halter and get the job done." <laughs> yeah. you know. So, so so finding that balance must also have been a huge challenge. Yes, it is a challenge every mm. day, yeah. And uh, but it's like, I mean, I do practice meditation on a regular basis, like mindfulness, and you learn to observe your mind, and you create that little gap where you see how you tick, and that can help. So you can see like, ah, now I go into that control mode again. Okay, let go, let go, let go. So I think meditation is very important for that, and a lot of observing myself how I operate in situations. Mm. But of course, it doesn't always work. It's a learning process. There was one other situation on that day with the two customers where, you know, I think I have to deliver. We had a wonderful lunch. The horses were lying down around us, sleeping, just directly beside the campfire place. It was so peaceful. It was so magic. And then I think, aha, lunch is gone. So now I have to guide the meditation, which was a coffee bullshit and actually it brought everybody out of it not more into it but I thought I have to deliver and later we had a feedback and we talked about that and they told me that was not easy for them to follow and they were so right so it's like a learning process to to let go of these concepts and 
the delivery state of being, which is, yes, the money creeping in into relationships. The money and time, I think, and time, since yeah. you brought it up, because I yeah. think that's a, a huge concept. When I, yeah. I have a very sensitive horse, and uh, mm. I chose a very different path with him than with my previous horse. Mm. Uh, and time is a yeah. huge part of that concept. Yeah, it's the pressure there. Yeah. yeah. So y- to <gasps> I think that's one of the most important things for me is to, to let go of the time concept. Yes. Shouldn't he know this and yeah. shouldn't he know that when he's yeah. of that age? Yeah. Shouldn't you be here and there with shouldn't. that kind of trend? Shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, yeah, well, mm. uh, we're not. Yeah. Uh, and that is, that is very challenging because mm. our world is really built on uh, getting somewhere where yeah. it's measurable. Yeah. And, and getting there in time. Yes, exactly. And it so makes a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves. And the, the pressure I put on myself, I put on the people who come helping here, mm-hmm. and I put on the horses. Mm-hmm. So it's like to let go and to see the more I let go, the more trust I get and the more freedom of wanting to continue it mm-hmm. by themselves. Mm-hmm. For the example, one example is the hoof care, because then I'm really in this mode of... You I have, have You have barefoot horses. I have barefoot them. horses, mm-hmm. and I do the trim myself. Mm-hmm. I follow the... Uh, Academy Liberty uh, way of taking the hoofs now, mm. which works best for me. Was that uh, yes. for people who are interested in this? Uh, it's like Strasser, but with uh, some variations, or uh, is it like a to- t- totally It's new much more, integ- it's called Academy Liberty Integral, so integrates much more the whole environment, not only a scientific concept, but it's really listening to the hoofs. It's based on the wild horses and the observation of how their hoofs also change in environments through the seasons. So you will do a different trim in the summer than in the winter for example, because the underground has so much to say. You, the trim, the hoof the, behaves different with different food you give. So all this stuff you have to integrate. Mm. And also... So it's a more holistic approach? It's a very holistic affair? approach. Yeah. And I think Strasse is also holistic, but it's still the whole educational system around here becomes too rigid and it becomes too scientific, uh, methodical. And you have to listen so much more to the horse, to the hoof. You have to know your horses. So one of the main sayings of Academia Liberty is take the health of your animals in your own hands. And that's why you also should learn to trim the hoofs because then you know what's going on. And it's not only the hoofs, but it's also what you give uh, as nutrition, which herbs you offer, all these. Also the, the freedom of choice is not only where to walk, but it's also what to eat. So they have always access to grass, always fresh grass, always uh, fielding as much space as possible, but not artificial uh, fertilized. So, but, uh, but um, yes, so this hoof system is, is based on listening to the hoof and the horse and the conditions. And, uh, but some of the basics are still learned from Strasser. Uh, we'll have a seminar about this now, probably next spring. So I think it's really interesting because I've been through a lot of hoof barefoot systems and I have failed with all of them. I've been more in the Strasser direction. I've been more in the Pete Ramey direction, Jamie Jackson. I've been through all these phases, you know, and uh, Dan Guerrero. All these things didn't work. And even the so-called natural hoof care led to founder in my horses. So now I've uh, landed on this because here I feel the hooves are really slowly healing. And as the hoof is also a metabolic organ, which almost nobody knows, it's also a healing of the whole metabolic system of the horse. So it's very interesting. But I wanted to talk about something completely else about the hoof, about the freedom of choice. Now, when I do the hoofs, where I can be quite task-oriented, 
I have to trim, you know. (laughs) But still, I don't close the stable door anymore. The horse can walk out and say, I've had enough enough of this now. He's offered food while I do the work, but he's not haltered. Nobody keeps him. Nobody, I'm there alone with the horse, and I do the work. And when he says it's enough, it's okay. And the interesting thing is that when they are allowed to say, now it's enough, they stand in front of the stable the next day. So to get the rest of the job yes, done. Yes, to get the, to continue. Mm. It was okay. So that's yeah. a time aspect. Yes, again, it's a time aspect, mm. and because some horses maybe they have some pain in the joints or something. It's older horses here. Um, some horses can maybe only have ten minutes of it, but okay, I have time. I can continue next day, mm. and then I work on both hooves at the same time. So I all the time try to be somehow on the same level. But if a horse goes one 24 hours with one hoof a little bit higher than the other, it's not. I mean, look at the wild horses. They have seasons where the hooves actually get quite long and then they rub mm-hmm. off again. It's a change. The, the, the hoof is also so much more adaptable than mm-hmm. we believe to different conditions. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And also mm-hmm. you said, uh, coming with this concept of how to to trim the hooves and, and work with them. You also said something about food. So you said the horses are, they have hay and they yeah. have grass. Yes. But you also mentioned herbs. Yes, uh, they, have minerals a, and they have a herb bar. Okay. Uh, so bar. in the in the winter, I offer the herbs they find in the environment here. So we offer we, we collect a lot of herbs during summertime, uh, and in the summer, it's a financial thing. I would love to offer them some herbs they don't get in this area, but it's quite expensive to buy herbs, you know. So I really. Um, I also think they have so much, I mean, they have so much uh, space here, so they find the stuff that, and I've seen them, I've even seen them sometimes take a little nip of a poisonous plant, but that's why they really have a very strong, intact eating instinct. So they know what they need when they need it. And uh, that's so interesting to watch when I have this herbal bar, which horse, what's what? Oh no, this is not interesting for me, but this is very interesting. And then the other horse, oh, what's that? Yeah, that's what I need now. So uh, it's a little bit difficult with eight horses to have enough there all the time, you know. But I, in the winter, I fill it once a day. And then they also have a mineral bar, and that's like they have the same instincts for the minerals. I have copper, which is completely blue. I have um, calcium. I offer them some uh, natural clay. Uh, they have tongue meal always as much as they need. They have um, magnesium. So they have all these stones and schwefel, schwefel, I don't know. Sulfur. Mm. So, and uh, in periods, for example, in um, in spring, they will lick a lot of copper. They seem to need it. They know it. And if you taste that copper, it tastes horrible, horrible, you know. But they know. And also, I mean, when they're out there, they eat earth. I even have been starting to eat earth myself. Eat. No? Earth. Well, earth. Yes. Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they know exactly where the right her earth is. Mm. So they will eat it like chocolate. And that's yeah. why they need, the, they need it for their uh, m- microbiome, for their, m- their system in the stomach. Mm. Yeah. So, so that's part of freedom of choice and a, a multitude, a variety. They need a lot of... Um, uh, the nutrition should be very rich. So they should be offered a lot of different stuff. So we also offer herbs, uh, um, uh, vegetables and uh, fruit. And uh, I don't have the, the possibility here economically, but I know in other stables, in Academia Liberty, they offer like a whole pile of apples and the horses will stop eating apples when they've had enough. So all this fear has gone. 
the fear of fructan, the fear of sugar. Of course, I would never give them processed foods. So I don't give them mixed stuff. I wouldn't mix something into a herb so they eat it. It's not me controlling that. They know better. But I would offer them the herbs. And if, for example, let's say this horse likes camomilla, then I will maybe give him that in his food, in his oats, uh, two weeks. And then I will test him again. Does he still want camomilla? So to trust nature. That's the thing, you know, and to listen to nature. I think that's very much the core of the whole um, place where I'm now, the whole Dream Valley, yeah. And to trust my own nature, <laughs> which is the most difficult. <laughs> Because it is, mm. uh, it is hard work. I talked with Stormy May about this as well. Yes. That's, that's going, um, turning your back on the conventional way of keeping horses. Yeah and the conventional way of treating them and everything, yeah. it takes hard work because then you have to really be integrated in yourself. Yes. You have to be in balance mm. uh, because you have nothing to f to fall back on, so to no. speak. No, that's that's uh, I think yeah. that's been one of the most ex uh, interesting, yeah. interesting experiences for me. Mm. Mm. That uh, when you choose to have a horse where, where fear isn't the thing you're doing, mm and where dominance isn't the thing mm. you're doing, and pain isn't mm. the solution when things go wrong, mm. then you really have nothing but yourself. Mm. And if mm. you're then not where mm. you're supposed to be, then you are in trouble, yeah, basically. Because they mirror you, they mm. feel you, and um, I have to work with myself. And if I work with my stress, I, I know I work on their stress. So, But it's hard because it's also, oh no, my horse has a stress-related symptom, so it's me. I have to work on my stuff. Yeah. And that's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, because it never ends. No, no. Yeah. It's always a continuing journey up mm. some kind of a mountain. And yes. the view is more and more interesting, I think. Yeah. But it is it is climbing a mountain. Yeah, it's a climbing mountain. And we have to do so much healing to do in our world. So much healing, so much toxic environment we live in. So much toxic thinking, so much... Uh, method-based, fear-based uh, way of being, you know. <gasps> so it's it's a pr long process. Yeah. A long process. <laughs> so how, mm. does, uh, how do people respond when they get here for the first time, in your experience? Mm. Because uh, I assume that some of the people who come to visit you and stay for a few days mm. or a period of time in Dream Valley, they come mm. from the modern natural, uh, not the natural mm. world, but the modern world, yeah. modern busy world, the human world. Yeah. Where you, where you have your job, mm. you have your this, yeah. you have your that, and yeah. it's all a time schedule yeah. and, and getting as much done as possible in a short amount of time yeah. and all that thing. Yeah. And then they come here and it's completely different. <laughs> so mm. how, how do they, I, I'm not for sure everybody's different, but do you have kind of some things that comes up almost every time when people come and visit you? Or have a lot of people already decided that the time issue and the money issue is a bad idea and that's why, why they found this place? Mm. I mean, first, first, it's for me. I'm living here, so it's a little bit difficult to perceive what's so different. For for me, this has become normal, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I'm not so good in judging this. But uh, of course, we live very simple. We have only an outdoor toilet. And that's maybe the worst for the people, the outdoor toilet. And um, we we live vegan. We try to learn from the horses to use eating instincts more again. And um, <coughs> it's a lot of work. It's physical. But um, of course, I warn people before they come here. That's very important. So they don't have wrong expectations. And they know it will be hard work. It will be challenging. It will be with the body. Uh, and uh, those who uh, have 
decided to take that challenge, they come back again and again. Yeah, because they say it's their home. And I think it's maybe also something that somebody told me today. Um, I am very including as a person. So I, um, I'm open because I know everybody is unique and everybody has to contribute with different stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's really also learned by meditation. You must not judge people. And, and then they feel welcome and they feel at home. And then like with the horses, they, oh, I could repair that thing, you know. Uh, Tina, could I repair that thing? Yeah, wonderful. I'm happy. So you have to, you have to also find the talents of the people, and to to accept what they can contribute. And for me, that is maybe the hardest process is to, as I'm a person who can put a lot of uh, pressure and worry on myself, and I will always do that with the people too. So now I learn to have less and less pressure and expectations on their contribution with the work, but it still has to be done. Um, so that's that's not always easy to. It's okay. Take your time off. Do what you want to do. And then I feel if I let go, they will like to work here. But never nobody likes to work under pressure. So yeah, and I don't. But I'm quite uh, tough with myself, and often way too tough. Mm. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, to sum things up a bit with you and your horses, they have taught you to um, be more present here and now. Mm. And they taught you to be more patient, mm -hmm. more open. Mm -hmm. um, would you say that there are other things that you really feel that this is, this is a lesson that I've learned from the horses that is really ingrained or integrated in me as a yes. person now? There's several. I think I've changed quite a lot as, as a person by the horses, for example, this concept of equanimity, that you don't get dramatic all the time, that you keep, um, you can trust me, I will be more or less the same every day. That's something the horses need. This is not, the ego is not so important. It's not this wee, wee, these big emotions, but it's some kind of, um, you can trust Tina will be there, she will be the same. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that has helped me a lot to become more uh, leveled in my in my every day. And another thing I think has been very important is this idea of abundance. For the for horses, the wild horses, there is always abundance. They always have all they need. And horses have no concept of scarcity. It doesn't exist. They wouldn't, okay, I put this hay by side because then I can eat it tomorrow. That doesn't exist. And in the wild horse uh, world, they even don't fight for food. That's a typical thing they only do in domesticated situations. There is no fight for food. So if they find especially nice area for herbs, for example, or minerals, they will just be close up and lick, lick at it on the same place. But they don't fight. But here where they... Um, so there's one thing where I'm also working on myself, and that's still quite difficult, is when I give food, that I don't um, create struggle and battle between the horses by the way I share out the food. So, you know... Yeah, but this concept of, of abundance, there's always enough. That's also something that can be adapted to the economical situation, which is quite crazy. I mean, how should an, a visual artist finance eight horses in the farm? It's really, I don't know how I manage, but Neither somehow... No, <laughs> <laughs> because they're getting older now, the horses, the uh, both, also, uh, six of eight are over 20 now. And uh, more herbs are needed, more stuff, you know. Mm. And um, But somehow it's also about trust. 
it works. It's yeah. about uh, manifestation, trust, and uh, believing in abundance and not focusing on scarcity. Mm. And that's something you also can learn from the horses. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Would you like to also say something about uh, um, what you can offer for people who are searching for for other ways to spend time with horses or mm. to expand their horizon what you mm. offer here in dream yeah. valley so they are of course always welcome to come and par take part in life as it is from day to day that's called dream valley life so you will be taking part in the vegan food you will experience how it is to make and uh, eat vegan food you can also come for dream valley self where you make your own food um, then I offer something that's called meditation with horses. That's a one-day experience where I will guide through different mindfulness-based uh, uh, guided meditations. And we will spend the time with a day with the herd where the aim of the day is to become a little bit more horse yourself and to become a little bit more part of the herd. So it's a wonderful experience. And in the middle of the day, there's a vegan lunch made by the campfire. So people uh, are very... Um, I feel it's a very nice thing. And I also can offer this like a walk. Then you come for a silent herd walk, uh, also with a vegan campfire in the middle of the day. So either in motion or in on the farm, I can offer that. Mm. And then, of course, I offer paintings, seminars, and I'm an artist, so yeah. yes, you can also come and draw and paint horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, and you also have this concept of relational, you call it relational vertical art. Mm -hmm. Uh, can you explain a little bit more mm. about what that is? So I think Dream Valley is a relational work of art. It's coming. It's a term that comes from the art uh, um, concept, art theory from the 90s. And then it was about that a piece of art could be, for example, an event in the gallery where they served wonderful food. So, But I extended this term to relationship to nature and, of course, uh, relationship to horse. And I think today that almost everything happens in the relationship. So with the horses, uh, what's happening here is because of the relationship. So I couldn't come to a herd I don't know and do the same things with them. It's all born in the relationship. And of course, I have some deeper relationships to some of the horses than to others. And it's unique. Every relationship um, uh, mirrors different aspects of my and their personality. But I think very much if you want to do things with horses, relationship is the key. So you need to own your horse. Own is also a strange concept because how could you own nature, you know? But still, it's need to be your horse and things will grow like a flower slowly in the relationship. So it's, it's not a method, it's not a technique. It has to grow over the years and uh, through all the experiences you make together. And just now I'm working on a series of artist books where I also try to draw, paint and write about these relationships to nature. And some are investigating their relationship to trees or to plants, for me it's the horses, but it's also my own body and um, it's, it's, it's the key. So I would say relationship is the key in Dream Valley. And it's maybe also because that's where my biggest problem is. You know, I have no uh, husband and I'm sure I have some problems in relationships. When things come close, I can get afraid and insecure and uh, defensive. So the horses help me to go deeper and deeper and deeper in relationship. For example, Sindri, I know him since he's three and a half years old, and now he's 25. So that's a long life together, and that's a lot of uh, 
stuff we've gone through and to experience that he still believes in me, that he still loves me, and it's a very dear, very inner, innerly, inner, inner relationship, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. That is well, I, I would say that that's one of the things that uh, is less common, that mm. people stick with the same horse. Yeah. That's yeah. also my experience when, when people tend to, to take that different path that you did, that mm. Stormy May did. I've done it to some extent. Is <laughs> It has to do with spending enough time with one horse mm. to build a relationship that shows you something else. Yes, but it's also again not this one thing. Mm. Because yeah. uh, now I'm letting go of, okay, Sindri, now we build relationship by taking this walk away from the herd. Um I could go for a walk with Elodie away from the herd because she loves it, but it's not something I'm trying to create. I think the most important thing here is more the day-to-day -day interaction. So before, <laughs> many years ago, when people came to Dream Valley, I was kind of training the the, the, the helping hands, the working students, how to uh, uh, train horses or whatever, you know. I would never do that anymore because I think the thing that happens that is really teaching people something is what happens in the everyday when the horse is standing in front of the toilet how do i get to the toilet <laughs> for example or uh, yeah how do i behave when lenya comes to me and wants to be scratched all these little things mean a lot because training doesn't happen in the square but training happens in life like for us people mm. it's the, there where we learn our stuff mm. yeah so hmm. <laughs> Thank you very much for this uh, talk, uh, Tina. Mm, thank you so much and that uh, I had my voice here. <laughs> <laughs> and very much, I wish you a lot of luck with uh, your upcoming ex exhibitions mm -hmm. and also of, um, with uh, the continuing uh, um, what call development of Dream yeah. Valley. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah it's very exciting. So <gasps> it is. <laughs> After the interview, Tina and I had a long chat out in the yard. We talked about many things, but I remember particularly well the conversation we had about why and how often we as humans should intervene in the life of our horses. We've had this conversation about the dignity and welfare of horses with all its ramifications for about 20 years. And although we didn't always agree, we have always had a mutual respect for each other's views. But I didn't quite recognize the way she talked about her horses this time. And when we went to the car that afternoon, my husband, my son and I, I told my husband that it was as if Tina was about to leave the human world and become part of nature for good. I told him it felt as if Tina was about to turn to dust. Then after I got home, Tina and I kept in touch throughout the fall. And on October 4th, she sent me a very disturbing message where she wrote that she had been diagnosed with a potentially life-threatening disease. Unbeknownst to both of us, she was already seriously ill when the interview took place. The next time I met Tina was about three months after the interview. She was too ill to live on the farm at the time, and it was a painful encounter for both of us for several reasons. Unlike the last time we met, Tina now had a serious underlying condition that made her very vulnerable in the age of COVID-19. And the moment I remember most clearly was when you sat as far away from each other as humanly possible in a large room she rented on one of the neighboring farms. And we both cried and agreed that we really wanted to hug each other, but we just couldn't risk it. Not this time. And when we said goodbye on the stairs outside, I knew we had seen each other for the last time. 
Tina died one month later, on November 27th. Before Tina passed away, we talked about many things after she learned that she was seriously ill, including the future of Dream Valley and the care for her horses. Tina had no heirs, but she pointed out a young Swiss girl as the heir of her choice. And although not all the necessary formalities was in place when Tina died, good helpers have fought to ensure that her last will was made known and respected. And on March 24th this year, Vivienne moved to Dream Valley and took over the responsibility for the horses. And if all goes according to plan, you get to meet her in episode 13. You just heard episode 12 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. May you rest in peace, dear Tina.